Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. And now with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, a lot to get through today, lots going on here. Um, as I've said uh, to some of the regular listeners in the past, you know, I'm asked to give a title for the, this week's webinar, uh, sometimes you know, days and days in advance. So I have to pick a topic and hope that nothing else will happen. Well, that rarely does. You know, so I was asked to write uh, a title, I think it was uh, Saturday night. And at that point, the big news was that just before the, uh, late on Friday, just before the Sabbath, uh, there was a relatively uh, shocking resignation by a relatively senior uh, government minister, a member of Blue and White, someone very much from the left flank of uh, Blue and White, Asaf Samir, who is the tourist uh, minister. Well, you can argue what really is a tourism minister, minister doing these days, but regardless, he basically resigned because of what he said is the government's uh, failures on, the, on dealing with the coronavirus, on the economy. He pointed very much a finger at the Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, it was a very strange timing on a Friday afternoon. It's not uh, the best, certainly probably the worst time of the week to make any sort of declarations like that because it's, it's outside a little bit of the news cycle because then there's not another paper physical paper until Sunday, although obviously publications online are being updated. So it was a, a very strange timing and a lot of questions around that, but uh, it certainly put a lot of pressure on Benny Gantz. And there is certainly in the Blue and White Party, a growing number of ministers who are questioning their continued presence in this government. And uh, there's even talk of maybe even a breakaway uh, led by um, some who, again, possibly could be uh, construed as more to the left uh, of uh, the, the, the party itself, uh, certainly left uh, to Benny, uh, Benny Gadz's left and some others. Um, but again, while that should have been the big headline of the week, we've had far bigger headlines since then. On Sunday, it appears that a, a senior government minister from the Likud, Gile Gamliel, who is uh, the environment minister, uh, was caught breaking uh, the government's restrictions, the government, the laws, which basically restricts Israelis to uh, one kilometer from their house, not attending a synagogue inside, or uh, at least under very, very uh, severe restrictions, not traveling, not being in someone else's home. Well, it, here she broke almost all of those rules. She traveled, I think it was something like 160 kilometers to her parents or her parents-in-law's place in Tiberias. She went to a synagogue which blatantly contravened the rules. Uh, and then uh, when she found out that she had coronavirus, she allegedly uh, lied or kept some information to herself when they tried to understand um, who she may have been affected by, who she may be affected. She blamed her driver at the point, leaving out her trip to Tiberias. Well, uh, the police now are signaling to the attorney general uh, to open investigation against her. Uh, because she's a government minister, the attorney general has to give the green light uh, whether investigation, a criminal investigation will be launched against her because 
not the fact that she broke the, the rules, that's you'll just get a fine for, but if it uh, is concluded that she lied uh, to the epidemiological research on it, then that actually is even a prison sentence. Um, so there was a lot of anger about that. 75% of the country, according to polls, said that she should be fired. Uh, put a lot of pressure on Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, but Prime Minister Netanyahu, who has made very little comment about it, said, let's wait for the investigation to close, sort of handed the health ministry, uh, handed it over to the health ministry. And the health ministry said, no, we, we don't deal with the, 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 this side of it. We did our investigation. And, and that's it. So Netanyahu is trying to uh, wash his hands with this, trying to sort of uh, hope that it will go away, but there's still a lot of anger, as you can imagine, when people having to close businesses, not being able to visit loved ones, not being able to uh, pray during the holy days, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And here you have a government minister and it's you know, uh, qualitatively different from, uh, there was another uh, member of Knesset from Yeshatid from the opposition, also uh, broke the rules during the high holy days uh, but I, I my my belief is it's qualitatively different because Gila Gamliel is someone in the cabinet she hears the discussions she understands the position she understands the figures she hears all the experts the leading experts of the day talk about how bad the situation is and then votes for the most severe restrictions at the moment in the world and then goes and breaks them uh, so they are qualitatively different, uh, and you can hear even from you know people that I, I know who are, are, are strongly good supporters, who absolutely say she she should resign or be fired. Um, but uh, she is a relatively powerful figure. She has a family that's very closely related to a lot of senior people in the Likud, and the way the Likud works is usually they are very central people in the in the in the in the liquid party in the committees that basically choose to, uh, who's going to be where on the lists they call them in israel kablam nim they're basically the ones who tell people who to vote for and gila gamliel is, is a very strong figure within that uh, that, that network so it would be very hard for netanyahu politically internally in the liquid uh, to fire her but morally uh, and ethically most Israelis certainly believe that, uh, that she should be fired. Then we had an even bigger shock yesterday. Usually polls come out on a Wednesday. They like to do weekly polls now. If you're going to vote uh, today, who would you vote for? And we, we spoke last or two weeks ago about how Yamina, the party of Naftali Bennett, is closing in on Likud. And there was only eight seats difference, which is a four seat turnover. Uh, and that was, you know, quite remarkable. Likud had gone down uh, to uh, uh, below 30. Well, there was a poll yesterday which showed that the gap is narrowed to two seats between Naftali Bennett's party and uh, Netanyahu's party. Now, Likud's reaction to that immediately was to put out a, an image of a previous poll, I believe from about a year or so ago, before one of the many elections we had, uh, that showed that there was a poll that had them even one seat away at that time. And in the end, as we know, uh, Yamina really disintegrated and got, in one election, didn't even pass the threshold. And in, in others, barely uh, passed. There is some substance to that. Naftali Bennett does poll very well, but when it comes to the elections, uh, through various a myriad of reasons, he doesn't do as well. Part of that is because he has this sort of, you know, I'm. I'm a successful businessman. I come from this high-tech background. 
people from the center and even the center left are attracted to that. And he's been very positive recently on the coronavirus. He comes with a plan. He said, you know, Netanyahu says this could take six months to a year to get out of. And Naftali Bennett says, if I was in charge, I could do this in one month. And he actually lays out his plan. It's a very, from a communications point of view, it's a very strong message. But at the end of the day, during elections, there's a lot more of a, a spotlight uh, placed on other people, especially from those who have a vested interest in doing so. And you have other people in the party, like Batsalo Smotrich, who is, let's just say he's pretty much a, a, as far right as you can be in the current Knesset. And a lot of people might be put off by that and then return to other parties. And also Netanyahu makes a very good uh, claim uh, before every single election who may vote for So I think the, 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 the polls are interesting, uh, but everyone knows that that won't necessarily be the results, but this is where it gets interesting. Even if they are largely wrong, and instead of a two-seat gap, there's five, six, seven seats, it still puts Net, uh, Bennett into poll position where he knows that there can be no right-wing government without him. And what this does is it puts Netanyahu in a very difficult position. Netanyahu wants to get rid of uh, this rotation, this unity government with Gantz. He wants to get rid of it and go back to his, 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 his uh, you know, government of right-wing religious uh, parties. But he does it, but he wants to be in the situation he used to be in where he's running the show and everyone else is very much junior uh, party in the government, a partner even in the government. If Naftali Bennett gets in the high teens or low 20s, that's a game changer. And there's been suggestions that uh, Naftali Bennett would ask for a rotation similar to the one that uh, Netanyahu has with Gantz. And now, however much Netanyahu doesn't like the rotation system that he has with Gantz, he and his wife, who is a very important player, uh, who certainly has personal uh, history with Naftali Bennett, Ayelet Shaked, uh, would prefer Gantz than uh, Bennett any day of the week. Uh, so basically, it, it really puts Netanyahu onto the back foot and some of his other partners. It basically says to Netanyahu, if you go for elections, which is what he wants to do, what he wanted to do uh, in, in December when the time for passing a budget will, uh, will exit, um, then he could well have Bennett sitting alongside him instead of Gantz, and Bennett will demand first rotation. He knows that if he demands second rotation, demands it, but he gets second rotation like Gantz, he'll never see it. Um, and that's something which obviously Netanyahu won't countenance. Uh, so basically that really puts Netanyahu into a big quandary and piling onto that is the situation with the ultra-Orthodox. At the moment, the ultra-Orthodox are the most secure partner, the most loyal partner of uh, Netanyahu. And likewise, it goes in both directions. The ultra-Orthodox have been extremely unhappy about what Netanyahu and the government has been doing the last uh, few weeks, few months uh, to their community, even though their community are showing by far the highest infection rates and continue to do so, whereas the rest of the country is now starting a trajectory down, they're continuing their trajectory of uh, infection still up. Um, and as you can imagine, during the High Holy Days, um, as we've seen in New York and other places, the ultra-Orthodox uh, are, are persistent about praying in synagogues in large numbers, about having their celebrations, uh, about having mass events, sometimes hundreds or thousands of people. And because there's been a massive outcry amongst the public, we see that there's been some level 
of police uh, presence in these communities and it's led to riots and, and really, really disgraceful scenes. Um, and basically they put out, when, they, when this poll came out to pile on Netanyahu's misery, uh, one of the main uh, Haredi parties, ultra-Orthodox parties, basically said to Netanyahu, if, uh, if Bennett is gonna get the same number as you, maybe he'll be our primary partner. And you can imagine that does not go down well in Balfour, uh, the prime minister's residence, because it's a real threat. Uh, it is and it isn't. Do they really have the numbers to go with Bennett instead of Netanyahu? Not necessarily, but the fact that the threat is even there is a great worry for him. And what that basically says is to Netanyahu, it's about time you started treating us even better. Uh, and that's really uh, where we are at the moment. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, the, the budget now has to be passed by the end of the year. Again, we go back to the old adage, which we've been talking about for months previously, uh, before there was this extension that Netanyahu wants a one-year budget, which will basically be a one-week budget because it will just be for the rest of 2020, uh, whereas Gantz wants to, uh, a budget also through 2021. Uh, why that matters is because if there's only a budget for 2020, then there's a three months until they have to pass another budget. And if that budget is not passed during that time, then Netanyahu can, uh, can quell the government, can, uh, can set the government aside and not have to give over his seat to Benny Gantz, which according to the coalition agreement, he has to. So there's a lot of things going on, but definitely the, the poll, regardless of whether it's meaningful, regardless of whatever else, it's changing uh, the political map as we speak. It's changing the way Netanyahu sees the opportunity of elections. It's, it's changing the way the ultra-Orthodox have now got a card to play over Netanyahu. It certainly puts blue and white, even though their poll results themselves are very poor, they're now into single digits, but it makes the likelihood of uh, Netanyahu feel pressured and they're able to exert that pressure much higher. And it certainly puts Bennett in the driving seat and he's the person to watch at the moment. So with that, I'm happy to talk about those uh, issues or any others that you may have. Wonderful, thank you so much. So first question is, why is Netanyahu wedded to the ultra-Orthodox? Why won't he consider a unity government consisting of Likud, Yamina, and Blue and White? Well, it, it's, it's relatively simple. Uh, the ultra-Orthodox are not multi-issue. There's two parties, but basically on, they, they agree on many. So I'm going to talk about them as one block. The ultra-Orthodox uh, political parties are not multi-issue parties. They don't care too much about security issues. They don't care about diplomacy. They don't care about environmental issues or many of these other issues. As long as you give them what they want, which is a continued deferment from serving in the army, money for the yeshivot, uh, stipends for large families, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, let them continue the way they are. Also, not forcing basic subjects like English and maths on them. Uh, then basically they'll vote with you on every other issue. They're a very, again, if you give them what they want, they're a relatively easy and stable uh, power. I always talk about, I was uh, working in government for two governments, one with the ultra-Orthodox, which lasted over four years, which I believe was the second or third longest government uh, in the history of Israel. And then there was one attempt at a government uh, without, with Yeshatid, with what was then Yamina, Yeshua Betain, and a few others. And it lasted less than a year and a half, and there probably wasn't a day without a crisis. And that really showed Netanyahu. Netanyahu's main goal is stability, is uh, ensuring 
and lengthening his stay in the Prime Minister's residence. And the ultra-Orthodox parties certainly made that much easier for him to do so. And that is why they're loyal to him and why he's loyal to them. They, he's been very good to them. He reversed a lot of steps that were taken during uh, that one singular government without the ultra-Orthodox, where uh, large family payments were, were lessened and many other things. Uh, he's reversed a lot of these trends. He's made sure that uh, the issue of enlistment into the army for the ultra-Orthodox has never uh, come to fruition, kicking the can down the road, even though the Supreme Court has said, you must make a decision, you must pass a law on this issue. Netanyahu has been very good, very wily about making sure this issue really never comes to fruition. So. There's, there's a very strong loyalty based on shared interests, and their interests are quite simple. Netanyahu gets longevity, and the ultra-Orthodox parties get, uh, get to uh, keep the, the, uh, their way of life, and uh, the, the government should continue paying for it. So with, with those two things in mind, it's, it's, a, it's a very strong marriage, let's say. Speaking of the ultra-Orthodox, is there any way to quell their congregating? during this time? Again, uh, it's, it's very difficult. They are a community that come out in very large droves. Uh, they are a community which will go pretty far in demonstrations. We have seen violence. Uh, we've seen, you know, uh, uh, policemen and even uh, IDF uh, soldiers who've been had rocks thrown at them. They're called Nazis, uh, you know, all sorts of, you know, they allow their children to the front line, so then obviously the police look bad when they have to try and remove them. Uh, but also because, as I said before, which goes back to the previous question, it, it's whether there's a political will. And at this point in time, there's a far greater political will to disrupt the, uh, the demonstrations uh, which continue against uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, than there are to stop the congregating in the ultra-Orthodox areas. I mean, if you go to an ultra-Orthodox areas, very narrow streets, very high population, uh, you know, very hostile crowd. You know, these, these are communities which are very hostile to administrators, to uh, police uh, law enforcement officials. I mean, you see it also uh, to a lesser extent, perhaps in New York today. Uh, so it's, it's, it's very, very difficult, even if there is a political will. And I would argue that there isn't the strongest political will uh, to quell these gatherings at this point. And there's even been talk, you know, I can't confirm this, uh, but there's even been talk that there's been discussions between government officials and law enforcement officials and some of the senior rabbinic leaders to sort of say, you know, you can do what you want, but just make sure it doesn't get out. It's, it's done behind closed doors. Again, those are rumors. Uh, there seems to be some legitimacy to it, but I can't say for sure. Um, but that's, that, that's basically where we are. So while these communities, the infection rates are just going up and up and up, and some openly, by the way, there are some senior rabbinic leaders who say, we're just trying to get to herd immunity. We, for us, even if there's a loss of life, even if there's illnesses, grave illnesses, uh, it's, it's, it's much worse to shut down the synagogue, to shut down the yeshivot, uh, than to be harmed by the coronavirus. And so when you're dealing with a community like that, it's very, very hard for law enforcement officials to, and even the government to get the message across that they have to stop these gatherings. Thank you. Can you speak about the new Lebanese-Israeli talks that will be coming in the future about the borders by Rosh Manikra? Well, I don't think that these are not 
board, to, to, to the best of my knowledge, there's no border talks. Uh, there are disagreements between Lebanon and Israel uh, over a very small hard of area. Uh, but to the best of my knowledge, these are not ongoing discussions. The UN, although they've said that Israel has uh, did retreat, I believe it was in 2000, or was it when Edward Barak took Israel out of Lebanon in the early 2000s, that the UN did say that Israel went back to the blue line, which is the recognized international border. But Lebanon, or rather Hezbollah, uh, claimed that there still was a, a small patch of land which was still officially they deemed part of Lebanon. Uh, and that's, they used that as justification for continuing their presence in Lebanon, especially in the south. Uh, could be you're talking about the maritime border. Uh, that's a whole other issue that's sort of woven into the, the gas fields that Israel's taken, uh, found, I should say taken, found. Um, so there's that, that issue as well. And I think those are ongoing. They're, they're not straight face-to-face -face negotiations, of course, because Lebanon doesn't recognize Israel, won't sit with Israel, uh, but they're internationally brokered. But I, I believe there has been some uh, progress there, but um, Israel's pretty insistent on its position uh, on its maritime borders. So the question we have in now is, with all these distractions, we, re we read that additional housing plans for Yehuda and Shamron were advanced. Is construction going on over the Green Line, even though sovereignty has been put on hold? Um, actually, no. Uh, interestingly enough, again, uh, sort of hurting or harming uh, Netanyahu's right-wing credentials, it seems that one of the uh, sort of side I wouldn't say agreements, but understandings, as well as putting sovereignty on hold, is that there would be a, let's just call it a semi-unofficial freeze on uh, new building. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there is ongoing construction uh, that was given green-lighted, you know, months and years ago. Uh, but certainly, there's been a lowering in new uh, projects, even to the point where Benny Gantz, who's considered to the left of Netanyahu, has basically, you know, tried to call Netanyahu to unfreeze this. And there's been a a bit of a debate amongst um, mayors uh, on, on, on in the settlements, uh, you know, Israeli communities in the Green Line, whether they should openly attack Netanyahu on this point uh, or not. And there's a big disagreement on this as there was on the postponement, some would say pretty much uh, crushing the, the, the sovereignty. Uh, so there hasn't really been that much uh, building, if any, uh, recently. And it seems to be that this very much is tied into the uh, so-called Abraham Accords, and there's an understanding that Israel will certainly uh, not be doing too much building in the foreseeable future uh, in Judea and Samaria. Speaking of the Accords, do you see any um, progress in near-term additional peace agreements? Well, the one that seems to be ongoing on and off is Sudan. Uh, Sudan is basically tied into you know, we, we spoke about this previously. Sudan, their main goal here is to be taken off the, uh, the sanctions list, especially led by America. Uh, that's their main, main goal. And America has tried to tie uh, this into uh, Sudan recognizing Israel. At one point, they said they will. The next point, they said they have no legitimacy because this is a transitional uh, government in Sudan. And they said they have no legitimacy until after elections. Who knows when elections will be? Um, but there seems to be some pushback on that. Uh, but at the end of the day, more important uh, for Sudan, most important for Sudan is the, the relinquishment of uh, American sanctions against
against the country and against uh, many of its leaders. And I think if they push hard enough, then certainly uh, Sudan will, will go back on this. But again, we're talking about an American administration that is only a few weeks away uh, from elections, so their attention level has dropped. Uh, they, there was an opportunity, there was talks, now they seem to be put off. So it's possible it won't happen for now. Um, there doesn't seem to be any other nations immediately on the horizon, but one never knows what's going on behind closed doors. Um, but definitely the region is changing by the day. Certain things that were not possible only a few months ago are certainly possible now. Uh, direct flights between Israel and Morocco, that's another one. Uh, so it's, it's even without a, a nation coming out specifically and saying we're formalizing relations with Israel, there are a lot of steps that have been taken every day by uh, pragmatic Sunni nations in the region towards Israel that, uh, that are pretty unprecedented. Aren't there any implications to the El Al deal uh, to Eli Rosen Rosenberg recently for, for Israelis? Well, I'm not, I, 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 I'll be honest, I don't, I don't really know the details of that, uh, that too much, but sorry, I, 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 that, that's why I'll leave that particular question. I'm just not privy, privy to the details too much of that, but obviously El Al is, uh, like, like many airlines, uh, and those involved with the, uh, the industry itself uh, are suffering, and there's a need for a bailout, possibly uh, some sort of renationalization. Uh, I don't know exactly what's going on in that particular deal, but I'm sure when it's signed, there'll be lots of implications for uh, Israel. Understood. Will the EU insistence on PA accepting tax monies from Israel lead to further EU pressure on the Palestinian Authority to accept a peace deal or at least take steps towards the same? No, I don't, I don't think this will lead to anything more um, the EU is basically, you know, the, the vast majority of the money that comes in from abroad uh, comes in through what Israel collects in taxes uh, for the Palestinian Authority. And ever since uh, sovereignty was put, onto the put on the table, the Palestinians decided to break off all relations uh, with Israel's security, economic and others. So even though Israel's been trying to give this money over, uh, the Palestinians have resisted that. And they're suffering. The economy is suffering, the people are suffering. And the Europeans are saying, why should we bail you out when you're being stubborn on something which is rightfully yours? And for no good reason, because sovereignty is pretty much now off the table. Um, but I don't think the Europeans would be able to put any more pressure. They do say that they want Israel and the Palestinians to return to the negotiating table. But if Mahmoud Abbas wanted to come to the negotiating table, he cut the EU pressure. There's enough pressure in the region now um, with his, you know, with, with, within the Arab world. Uh, so I don't think there'll be significant pressure for any meaningful peace process uh, at this point in time. In fact, um, if anything, there's reconciliation in the Palestinian Authority or attempted reconciliation. We've seen this story many, many times before between what, what's called the factions, you know, Fatah, which is Mahmoud Abbas's party, Hamas, uh, and various others. There was talks of even having elections, uh, but we, again, we've heard this story many, many times, I think 14 years, 15, 16 years since the last uh, Palestinian election, supposed to be, you know, Mahmoud Abbas is 16 years uh, into a four-year term, 
And that doesn't seem like it's going to change because he knows the ramifications of actually holding elections. So he'll push as much as he can. But when it actually comes to a significant substantive talk about elections, that's when things usually fall apart, as we've seen again uh, in recent days. So back to the elections, how likely do you think that a, a budget will be passed in the coming weeks? It all comes down to one man, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. He will be making his calculations. He'll be doing his own polling and understanding what is the threat of Bennett. What will elections really look like? And, and you know, he, he's, he's a very savvy politician, a very savvy uh, struggle will be happening. Uh, and it's clear that he's losing um, a lot of support. But the question he has to ask himself is, is it preferable to go for elections now when even if he is losing support, can one imagine how much more, less support you'll have in March, which is the other sort of earmarked date possibly for elections before then he really will be locked into having to hand over the keys to Benny Gantz later in the year. So I think that's, that's pretty much what everything uh, depends on. Uh, Netanyahu's political considerations, he'll put his finger to, uh, in the air to the wind and really think to himself, is it better to do it now, even if I weaken myself slightly? Uh, maybe I can work around Bennett, uh, but is March going to be better? Is coronavirus still going to be with us? Are some of the people unemployed or put on unpaid leave, are they going to be back in work? That can affect him. You know, we've, we've talked many times, Netanyahu's base are people in the lower socioeconomic uh, levels, and they will be suffering the most from uh, the restrictions for businesses are closing every single day. Uh, you know, independent uh, uh, freelancers, are not being able to work. Yes, there is money being dished out, but it's not enough. There's a lot of anger uh, uh, happening around the country. And so Netanyahu will have to think to himself, you know, what's, what's the situation likely to look like? Will we have another lockdown on top of that? There are people who are talking about another possible lockdown in January, February. So to have elections in March after another lockdown, with maybe even more people unemployed, uh, the situation even worse, or could we have some sort of uh, vaccine? Could we have strong treatments? Could we have more instant testing? Which again, all of these things can lessen uh, the burden and make sure that we can open up you know, uh, businesses again. So the, these are all things Netanyahu is gonna look at. Certainly the poll that came out yesterday will have changed the calculations, not just for Netanyahu, but many, many people around it. As I said, it gives Benny Gantz a very strong hand uh, because he knows Netanyahu will be far more wary of going to elections. Um, it's, it's very difficult to say. Uh, my feeling is that this may have changed it, but this may have swung it slightly against uh, going to elections at this point. Um, and I'm sure Netanyahu will have explored other options of so maybe getting out of the agreement without having to turn over the keys to Benny Gantz, maybe other opportunities. Um, but I think it definitely makes the chances of elections uh, that much uh, weakened than they were the other day. And that's why this poll was really uh, a very, very important and really uh, calibrates uh, the way many, many senior politicians are looking at the map today. Well, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we've come to the close of our webinar. Ashley, thank you again for taking the time to update us. For our viewers, please join us Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern for our next webinar. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.